Now she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa. She's ready to go to the stars. This is the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. It's mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of returning to a place dark and mysterious where icy fingers of death reach out to you and you get battered about it at a moment's whim where mercy is not something that comes easily. We're going to the depths of the ocean. As you see before you, the Kraken travels under the ocean and eats ships that come close to it. Yes. We have and a really so- important choice here. Do we want to break out into some old Bobby Darren or something from Disney? Under the sea. Yeah. <laughs> oh, please not. No. Dun, 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 no. Dun, 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 no, no, no. <laughs> I'd rather you do the music from the black hole. That's much more gravitas. But anyways, welcome to the TriTag Games podcast. This week we are doing, uh, we're talking about Bureau 13, and we are talking about underwater and undersea adventures. You have joined the most secret government agency that you have never heard of. The 13th Bureau of Justice, otherwise known as Bureau 13. You are a government agent charged with the duty of disposing of the greatest unnatural threats to the people and the, and the economy of the United States and Canada. You will work under the knowledge that you are funded by an organization so secret, even the highest government officials do not know of your existence. Welcome to the elite band of people who wander the dark streets of the night, ever searching for the horrors that should not exist in this modern age. You are a special agent, stalking the night fantastic. Bureau 13 is a Gen Con award-winning RPG of modern horror and paranormal adventure. It's available from Tritech Games at TritechGames.com in both the original editions and in the D20 edition, with a new Savage Worlds edition coming soon. Remember that wherever the supernatural waits, good and evil, the agents of Bureau 13 will be there. But the evil is growing. Moving on to things that aren't actually monsters, okay? Let's talk about portals. Now, you already mentioned Pacific Rim, where there was a portal under the ocean that went to another dimension where they were invading us from there. Okay, that that certainly could could be under that, that certainly could be under the water. And in uh, TriTag games, there's actually an example of that kind of because at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, there's 
Incursion too. Incursion too. There, that was not the Mariana's Trench that I know. I thought that all that happened in North North Sea. No, like a sound in Canada. Investigating the Mariana's Trench with no, their no, 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 no. The the uh, Incursion two. They were in some sound in eastern Canada, like near Newfoundland or Nova Scotia. And when they used their sonar, they set off some old mat, uh, bleh, transmat, transmat device and got shot out into space. Right. Well, okay, still. So it's, it's regardless of whether it's in the Mariana's Trench or not, you've got some device under the ocean that actually creates uh, a, a connection to an alien world. And that could and that could cause things to disappear, especially very public things, very important things to disappear, or the reverse. They could bring things in too. Yep. It also could be a portal to the hollow earth. You know, you're going through the ocean, and all of a sudden, up is now that way. You know, the where your feet are, and now you're going to the surface. Where? How did we get here? Where are we? You look up. Okay, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. <laughs> You know, something like that, flowing into hollow earth. No, I think th- th- that would be going to another world because we know to a fair certainty the earth isn't hollow, but still, you know, there are portals to the hollow earth. It's a common thing in a lot of mythological stories, okay, in a lot of tales that underwater passageways, whether they're especially underwater, but also under the earth, passageways such as that can take you to other realms. So you go through the water and uh, swimming through some cave you see under the water and you keep swimming and swimming and you see a light ahead, you come up to the surface and you're not in Kansas anymore. You're someplace else entirely. And it could be, you know, uh, it, it could be a dinosaur hell. It could be uh, a fae, you know, uh, a fae wonderland. It could be an alien planet. Passageways of that kind are mythologically empowered to do this kind of thing in so many stories. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a common belief within the several Mesoamerican uh, beliefs that you can, there, that there are these uh, blue holes, these uh, you know massive caverns full of water. And that's where they put their dead because they're going to go to the underworld. So, yeah, that's another portal right there. You get a portal to the Mayan or Aztec underworld. Jabalba, yes. Ooh. Land of the dead. Oh, I'm sorry. That brings up a bad... Yeah, I ran in the Maze World campaign something to Jabalba, and I did the research, and there were these massive pool-like sinkholes all throughout, like, Guatemala and all that. So, yeah. What was it? They just discovered in the uh, in in the in the mage in the pyramid in the in the largest pyramid in te, in Teotihuacan, which is this a city that even the Aztecs didn't know who built it, but they found a t- they found a tomb that incorporated a lake inside of it. So there you go again, another sea, tr- another you know travel across the waters or under the waters to the land of the dead. It's a common theme down south and down in Mesoamerica. Uh, Mexico and the Central America was yeah Mayan. Jabalba was the Mayan land of the dead. Yeah, right. You know, so the interface of water is commonly used as a means of traveling from one realm to another in all kinds of stories, whether it's the dead or with something else. So you know, using passageways, whether you could you have to travel to it in a vessel or whether you can swim through it yourself. It, those, you know, it can allow things to go through them and also things to come out. 
uh, because oh, another op possibility is not another place that it leads to, but another time. And, and that's a great source for your cryptological creatures, uh, cryptozoic creatures that, you know, suddenly you've got, you know, uh, your, your, your pterodons and, and everything else coming out of, of uh, in this part of the ocean. Well, maybe uh, connections occurred and this passageway, this underwater passageway now connects to, you know, uh, 70 million years ago or only 100 years ago. And you're, and you're getting Native Americans who are... Uh, coming through and uh, raiding, <laughs> you know, vessels and and um, you know, it, if it's especially near, you know, someplace, you know, they're coming out in the middle of the night and uh, and 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 raiding places, trying to bring back treasure back to their homes because you know these these portals may or may not be permanent. Or if you happen to be up in Maine in that area, the occasional Viking showing up. <laughs> Coming, you know, they sail into a cave, they go down a waterfall, they come out, and now they're in, uh, you know, in, in, in Boston Harbor. Yeah, all those things are possible. I mean, portals, they don't always have to look like, you know, I mean, it could be something just like, a, as I said, a light in the distance. It could be a shimmering in the water. Um, it could uh, be, you know, it could be a, a sudden sinkhole. Uh, it or it could be something that looks like a big crackling area of energy. I mean, who knows? You know, you you're you the GM. You can do whatever you want to. You know, it it could be one of these really cool things where you know all the uh, 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 all the sea worms all rise up. You know, out of out of the seabed, and lightning starts. You know, uh, or balls ball lightning of some kind starts crack plasma starts crackling between them, and you find yourself in the center of essentially a fairy circle, you know, you know, made by uh, sea worms, and you find yourself transported, again, to either past, future, fairy realm, whatever the GM wants to do. Yeah, or you're riding the rapids in, in Southwest America, and you end up falling, falling down an uh, internal cave, and you end up in a pocket stop. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, with dinosaurs and Sleestack. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, okay, let's move on to underwater civilizations. There we go. Okay. And and this is where you could actually talk a little bit about the rosy crustaceans and such, because you know, there are people that seem to communicate with underwater intelligences. And it could very well be that there are large underwater civilizations that just are very good at hiding themselves from the surface folk. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we certainly know from comic books that there seems to be a lot of them. Well, the three that we all know from pop culture and other type of um, legends are, of course, Atlantis, okay. Lemuria, and Mu, M-U. Those are the three big ones that are known as far as underwater civilizations, using air quotes. Uh-huh. Speaking of hiding yes. from people, yes. Atlantis could be fully intact. It could have been sunk on purpose, meant to go underwater. The whole... Dome City? Dome City, basically. Well, because even Plato they, said... They said 
even the higher technology, technology higher than normal technology, technology Plato put it. than we had yeah so they could have the capability to just take the the whole city underwater and sink it yeah or the we'll use the rips method where no it didn't sink it was a dimensional <laughs> teleport they just shifted to another plane and so a portal underwater could lead to that pocket dimension where Atlantis still stands still functional today yeah right and, and they're either populated by you know air breathers who you you have to use submarines to get up to the surface or they're people who breathe water or they're mer people who of course you know half human half fish or they're fish people which like the monster from the black lagoon you know you have all these kinds of individuals living down there so right yeah or they could be the man from atlantis who looked like a normal person but could breathe water you know, he he just had a really good flutter kick. Well, he had webbing between his fingers and toes. Yeah, I'm gonna say when you say half, you said like half fish, and I'm saying they don't have to be half fish. Though I think that's a more uh, efficient methodology if you're gonna swim underwater, having that big, huge tail and 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 lower torso. But uh, you don't have to go that route. People who live under the sea, you have Namor from the Marvel universe, who's half human, half Atlantean. So is Aquaman. Yeah, and that's the reason they, they both can breathe above water because true Atlanteans got fish got fish fish ears, you know, fish fin ears, and they can only breathe on their water. Only Namor, because he's half human, half half fish, can actually you know surface and and breathe, you know. So, so why can he fly then? He's got those little feathered wings on his on the side. Jack, Jack yeah. Kirby. Yeah. That's why he can fly. <laughs> yeah, Jack Kirby because Jack Kirby says so. Yeah, <laughs> you know what Jack Kirby says? The check is in the mail. <laughs> Isn't that Jack Burton? Yeah, different yes, guy. Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but you know these are magic. You know these are magical realms. Okay, that are under the and so you know they could easily be hidden from the surface. You know by whatever glamours you want to imagine, and yeah. they're down. And, and you know the ocean is you know three quarters of the entire planet. So it's very very easy for an entire. I mean something the size of the United States, you know, culture that big could be operating down in the depths of the ocean and really wouldn't be bothered by anybody. They would. I mean, they you know they send the ships over top. They do their soundings. It gets reflected back appropriately by you know by the magic, by the glamours. They they go. They move on their way. Nobody is going to try to go and, and do something down there because it's too far down. It could also be that the underwater civilization is actually aliens who have come to Earth either to observe us or as a refuge from their planet, which was you know eaten by a giant mutant goat. The best movie example is the Abyss and the aquatic aliens there, who basically were—I want to say—they—they uh, they weren't squids. They, were more, they actually were more like they were fish, to be blunt. And and fish with high technology, and they figured out how to how to make metal underwater. Yeah, uh, that's always a fun one to do. <laughs> well, it's not that hard to do to make metal underwater. You just get rid of the water. Yeah. Well, the thing with Atlantis, as far as Plato's Atlantis, they said that everything was made of, and what was the name of it, orichalcum, which they basically said was brass. So 
they did say that Atlanta, and again, this is from what Plato wrote in his stories about Atlantis, that it was higher than normal technology. Remember, these stories came out in ancient Greece, so higher than normal technology could have been anything. They could exactly. have had magic, or what we know as techno magic, what I've referred to in past podcasts. So, yeah, they would make stuff that could not only survive the depths of the ocean, but also, you know, wouldn't be affected by the salinity of the water and and whatnot. I mean, right now, if you were to take a, a primitive person and they were to describe an automobile, they might say it's an armored cow or, or, a, or a bull or something like that. It's got metal wrapped around it, but obviously it's got to have an animal inside of it. You know, and so they would even talk about it being a creature and it roars and some of them are, are nicer and they purr. So, yeah, I mean, someone who's writing about super high tech and it could be really super high tech. It could be to Mellor level tech. Where it really is an animal, yeah, you know, and it doesn't look like it's that high a tech, but in fact is it. It's it's so refined that it actually looks like a normal thing. You know that does bring up another underwater civilization: refugees from the Tamilan War, Tamilan Miller War. Yeah, that yeah. portal, that portal dome is underwater, after all. Yes, so they could be refugees living down there. And a lot of the water that's at the bottom of the ocean is is actually from the poles. It flows it's super cold, super heavy, and it flows from the poles, from the Arctic, down into the very basin of the ocean. And it could be that these people were literally carried all the way down into the bottom, in the middle of, of the uh, Pacific, the southern Pacific, um, just by the normal flow of uh, the current of the water coming from the Arctic. And that's where they set up their civilization, down there. I think you also mentioned there, uh, we already talked about land that used to be on the surface of the sink, so that's sort of like, we've covered that. But you also mentioned aliens mining the sea bomb, which is much more reasonable than aliens mining for water. <laughs> 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 no, you don't need to whine for water <laughs> when you're surrounded by it. We're looking at you, V. Oh, yeah, that. Oh, please. Yes, yes. Aliens have, it's easier to get water floating around out in space than to ever go to the bottom of a gravity well and get it. But yes, uh, unless, of course, you, the whole idea is for you to set up a teleportation device at the bottom of the ocean and let the pressure of the ocean itself force the water through, and therefore you, you created this almost, you know, nonstop gusher of water to wherever you're trying to take it. And I'm thinking that they're not actually looking for like nodules of titanium or whatever the heck they, you know, we, they thought of. They're looking more, probably more for organic stuff that you really can't get unless you have life. And so they're looking for organic materials at the bottom of the ocean, and that's what they're mining for resources. Well, there's actually supposed to be nodules of magnesium uh, just rolling around on the bottom of the ocean. So who knows what else? I mean, again, the, the humans up on the surface, you know, they, they're mining, you know, stuff out of the, the, the mountains or whatever like that, and that's all they're going after. You know, three-quarters of the, of, of the planet is under you know under the ocean plus all the stuff that flows from our civilization out into the ocean and collects too you know all the hard metals and things like that so the bottom of the ocean could actually be a, a, a richer source of of mineral wealth uh, than the uh, surface would so why go up there and have to fight all those those uh, 
those humans and their prejudices and everything else when nobody's going to bother us down here while we mine it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's also covered. The silt is also rich in organics. So yes, Mars and these are are are, are fish poo. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 yeah, and of course they may be they may be using. They decide that it's not efficient what they're doing right now, and they decide let's you know you know we need to get we need to dig a little deeper, you know break break out the H bombs, and they start you know or whatever they they're using, and they start you know blowing stuff up. Nobody uses an atomic bomb under the ocean. That's that is true crazy talk. It's 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 really really bad to do, John. And the main reason is is because water is an uncompressible is a non-compressible medium, and so the explosion of the H bomb or whatever gets transmitted for hundreds of miles. You know, how Possibly far away are you going like to tsunamis and whatnot? Well, yeah. that's bad for us. But how about the critters that are down there? They're going to get hit by that that blast wave hundreds of miles away from the detonation site. So yeah. If you want to look at when it looks at the surface, the the picture they always show of the of the bomb going off off in the water that was like what 100 feet down, and yeah, boom, big boom, big bada boom, big bada boom. I was waiting for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, deep impact's probably a better choice because uh, what happens is is this thing comes down and it smacks the ocean, uh, sends a shock wave out from that, and it's and it, that just moves you know, like a thousand miles uh, an hour through the ocean, you know, because it's just basically be, because it's uncompressible, it just transmits the energy until it reaches the shore. And then it creates those, I don't know if that's accurate, but they said three and a half thousand foot tall killer waves. Mm. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's that, uh, you probably have all seen it. The, uh, what the, the, the NHK, the Japanese, uh, T- uh, television network commissioned a anima- a accurate animation of a small semi sized body impacting the earth and that's the one that shows the the waves going across the pacific ocean and not stopping when they hit, until they hit the himalayas india would be covered it'd just be washed right over india yeah yeah that and of course that was also kind of the basis for um you know t- uh, 2012 ah so and, but anyways, that is, so yeah, don't set off nukes under the ocean unless they're really, really small ones. Yeah, bury them deep. You, no, that doesn't work either. Does right? it? Yeah, it doesn't work because <laughs> it's still gonna, the impact's still going to be transmitted to the water and it's still going to move out. So yeah, it's uh yeah you, the only uh, you need something that's literally going to vaporize the rock, <laughs> and you know there's things you can do for that. You know you can so when you, know, you need a, to vaporize. Every single thing underwater, yeah, yeah, but not explode, just vaporize. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, uh, uh, anything else under underwater civilizations? I mean, obviously, you know, what? Why do underwater civilizations come into? Do we have a, an interaction with Bureau Thirteen? Why would we have an interaction? We dumped our garbage on them. <sighs> Okay. I mean, I mean that that's a traditional ecological, you know, response. You know, we come along in New York City been dumping their garbage out the ocean. They're finally getting sick and tired of getting all the all, all those newspapers being dumped on them. You know, and they're and they're gonna return them with change. Okay, there's that. 
Okay, there's all there's also the possibility that the crown prince or princess decides to go walk about up on the surface and gets into trouble. Because and, they always do. Well, of course they always do. They're children for crying out loud. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, if I if, if you sent if Josie, if someone plops you over in the middle of Russia, you know, where you, where you may or may not speak the language and you really didn't know, didn't have anybody, any resources. How long do you think it'd take you to get into trouble? It's cold there. <laughs> <laughs> the answer, Josie, is you're already in trouble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they could be curious because they're because the, despite what people might think, most of our network traffic is ca- carried by undersea cables. And they find one and tap in and start going, ooh, let's surf the internet and find out what's going up there. Let's let's see where these cables go to because they're interesting. Yeah. 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 And maybe they get a, an underwater television going and they see some like a show like Jackass and they're like, oh, these people <laughs> must be destroyed. The, the, the evil corruption of the soul, you know, and they... <laughs> And they go and they they go on a, on a ethical jihad or or they just consider us all to be crazy and, and mentally sick and need to be helped and so they're coming up on the surface in massive waves of uh, you know Red Cross and uh, and we're being invaded know. by Atlantean psychiatrists. Oh, great. right, exactly. You know what what the uh, Shawnee did. You know we're coming up here to make you dance. <laughs> oh, actually, I'm thinking of the other of uh, uh, the other standard one, which is. Um, um, we, 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 uh, some unscrupulous person captured one of them and brought them to land and they're now in a, in a big fish tank as he's trying to figure out how to monetize them, monetize it. Right. And they want their, want their kid back. Right. Somebody wants their kid back. Every, everybody who's alive down there is somebody's kid. And, and just like in a, just like in our world, a child can become, or, you know, a, a cause, you know, a celebrity same thing in the underwater. You know, the word goes out, so-and-so, abducted by evil sur- surface dwellers, snatched from the bosom of his family and home. We must not stand for this. And, you know, all of a sudden you've got, you know, the, the legions of, uh, of seahorses and, uh, you know, and, and, and orcas, you know, and whatever else they, they, they have domesticated under the ocean. And they go up. The seahorses are big enough to ride. That's right. Yeah, in a lot of these kinds of stories, they are, sure, because they're horses. They're the sea. They can get as big as you want them to because, you know, they're, they're everything's, you know, the gravity doesn't pull down on them because they're in equilibrium. Actually, I have a thought of one more, one more spe- species. Uh, it, I don't know if you all, any of you have seen that the mockumentary that Discovery did or Science Channel, one of them did, about the um, – the hominids that went back to the ocean and became mer people. But they're not mer people. They're more like you know people, more like you know dolphins or seals than they are mer people. But yeah, it was a they actually did two of them. Uh, some mysterious government conspiracy to cover them up. Right. Okay. It was a really good series because they treated them. They basically. Yeah, the best they have are sticks with, with sharp rocks on them or shells. I mean, they don't really have much in the way of technology, but they are a culture. They, you know, I call them the sea people. They're not mermaids because mermaids are half human, half fish. They're all human. They just simply diverged from us about three, about two million years ago. 
or something like that. You know, the Homo erectus decided to go back into the water and turn into a sea person. Or right. somebody decided to uplift them and turn them back into that. Yeah, that that too, yeah. So, yeah, that's something to keep keep an eye out. The, they don't like people, and, well, yeah, for obvious reasons. <laughs> well, it's quite possible that their hearing and their vocal capabilities don't match ours at all. And so, as far as we're, they're concerned, you know, we're all deaf-mutes. Oh, that is the other thing, yeah, and, and we're making too much noise in the ocean. I mean, this is an actual true problem. We're ma- because of all the ocean-going vessels and everything we got doing, we're actually kind of polluting the channel that whales use to talk to each other across the ocean. Ah, The ocean's got various different layers and different properties, and one of the layers is perfect for sound transmission over thousands of miles. Well, I can tell you, I really hate it when someone parks themselves on my Wi-Fi channel and starts making, you know, making my downloads go to a crawl. So, yeah, I can just imagine how those poor whales must feel. Yeah. All right, let's move on to other mysterious places that are that would be either part of a Bureau 13 adventure or just known to be with the ocean that could be really cool, you know, uh, special effects or even the focus of the adventure. The one popularized by uh, Edgar Allan Poe, the Maelstrom. And, okay, yeah. you know, and, and Jules Verne. In fact, it's the same one. In fact, it comes down to it's you know Jules Verne heard about read, read Poe and he said, "Yeah, let's have that," and he had he had the Nautilus run into the maelstrom, a gigantic swirling area of water that sucks ships in and destroys them. Those things can appear out of nowhere. People will claim it's it's the result of underwater shifting, you know, uh, seismic activity that breaks open some rock and water flush flows down into the uh, underneath for some reason and that draws water down that creates the whirlpools but you know it's it could be anything it could be you know uh, a super science device it could be you know uh, again another portal to uh, another place but definitely whirlpools are scary scary things if you know i mean the ones that they have in the movies of course are absolutely just unbelievably scary but yeah. i mean if you if you've ever been caught in a whirlpool it's actually a pretty scary thing because you have very little control. Uh, I just re- remember watching uh, watching various videos about the the tsunami in in Japan, <clears throat> and they actually showed a whirlpool that uh, that that formed that was, I would say, a good fifty to a hundred feet across because of the uh, of the of the tsunami. So yeah, they you know they're just dangerous things. I mean, now the thing is we actually have places in the United States right now that form whirlpools all the time every time the tide comes in and comes out. Um oh, what's that one uh, what's that one bay in uh, in in east in, in New England? Um Chesapeake Bay? No, no, it has the largest tidal bore. Uh basically it changes we were talking tens of feet of difference in the tidal in the in the in the tide basically it's this humongous tidal bore coming down at every time the tide comes in and massive bore coming back out and it, and it forms whirlpools around the various rocks bay of bundy i think it's the bay of bundy yeah well, well the point still is is that if water has to flow out of an area it can create a whirlpool when that happens and it, it, it doesn't have to be natural. It can be water elementals making that whirlpool, too. Sure. 
Yeah, especially if it happens out in the middle of the ocean, that's more likely magical than it is, um, techn- techn- you know, natural at that point. Right, because for water to be drawn down to the ocean floor, we're talking about you know hundreds, if not miles, and that's a, that's a really huge effect going on right there. You know, again, it could be that well we were talking about where maybe they're maybe they are stealing the ocean, you know, and uh, sucking it down, you know, to to a transmat device and sending it off someplace. That's going to cause a constant flow down, and that's going to create a, a giant whirlpool up on the surface. Or some oil mining company, you know, drilled down and found that big underwater uh, underground cave. Oh dear. <sighs> Yeah, and what's going to come out of that cave after the water cools off at that point? Uh... So, uh, Josie, do you know what the Sargasso Sea is? No, there's only one thing that name makes me think of, and it is in no way related to water. So, okay, <laughs> I, this makes me curious. What else is, does Sargasso mean? <laughs> Cheese to this probably somewhat insane gamer. It's from a Starbucks assault stage. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, if you if you want to look for a movie that deals really well with it, uh, look for the. It's an old Hammer film called The Lost Continent. takes entirely takes place entirely in the Sargasso Sea. Okay. Hmm. And and so, what is the Sargasso Sea supposed to be? Not what it really is. Oh, it's just this massive sea of of, of floating sarga- sargassa weeds. They're basically these little floating weeds, and there's this miles as hundreds of feet thick, and it's mire ships, and there's these ships that's floating. They haven't sunk; they can't sink because they're being buoyed up by the sargasso weeds, and it's just all these shipwrecks, and it's uh, even people may be living out there. And other folks. So it's a, gig- a gigantic vegetable mat that yes. thing, thing, just like a, a floating island that ships have become mired on and the people there haven't been able to escape. That's right, yeah. yeah. And, and so if you think about what the, the, the powerful effects of like a hurricane where you could literally have ships being driven like deep into the Sargasso Sea, into that, that huge mat, we're talking hundreds of miles across, the ship would never be able to escape it. The best they could hope for would be to dismantle their ship, cross it, and again, we are talking about something that's kind of watery. It's not like you're walking across solid land, and maybe get to the edge of it and reconstruct your ship uh, or drag a small, sh- a small version of it, and then, like a dinghy, and then get off of it and hopefully get away. But, of course, in a true Sargasso Sea, in a true adventure like the Lost Continent, there are things you know, in the Sargasso Sea as well that would that would let you just walk your way off of it. Aye. There, you know, there, there's people there have been living there for centuries. There's an old conquistador who's all crusted over, and he rules the, uh, the, the, the everything there. And you, you have to, at that time, I'm doing the plot from the movie. And he rules everything. <laughs> yeah. And there's this giant maw, right? You know, in, you know, in one spot in the, in the thing, and they feed people too to keep it, to keep the God happy or something, you know? So you've got, you've got all, and of course you could have all kinds of, you know, 
uh, worms and giant spiders. And I mean, it's a great place for fish to live because it's, you know, got lots of places for fish to, to grow around and eat plants and stuff. And that means there's going to be predators. And that means that there's going to be other things too that have, you know, gotten there, things that have come off the ship, all those rats. You know, there might be swimming hordes of rats that are roaming around seeking whom they may devour. I mean, you could do all kinds of crazy, absolutely surrealistic stuff, you know, out of, out of you know, the, the, the other H.P. Lovecraft kind of stuff where rats on the walls and, and things like that. You know, you, you wake up the next morning and your buddy's got his face gnawed off, you know, kind of stuff. I mean, that's... Go crazy with it. Yeah, and don't forget, you have to have the obligatory uh, octopus that grabs a hold of you and pulls you under the water. Some tentacle monster is going to be there somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. But see, uh, and, and the that particular Sargasso Sea, you know, it's not real because the real one's just kind of a bunch of, it's a floating map thing. It isn't, that, isn't anywhere near that scary and mythological. But it's possible that there could be a mythological version of it. All those stories that people have told over the years have had a, you know, a, a creative effect that there's now a Brigadoon version of, you know, the Sargasso Sea that, that appears every now and again. Again, and then disappears and move and basically moves through time and space and just kind of you know bounces around uh, like a humongous zero plot in in yeah. weird space or something. So you know you could have these things that appear and disappear. They're like saying, "Oh, that's a Sargasso Sea, but it's in the wrong place," you know. Or I heard it's just a big thing of mass. Well, you know, something is you know jammed up in our uh, you know we we drove into it. We don't know why, and uh, you know and, and now they they're trapped and. If they don't get off, they don't get their ship free or they don't get away from it within time to get their traps again, like on the zero plots and, and weird zone traveling through time and space, possibly forever, you know, because they're now stuck on this on the mythological Sargasso Sea. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a race is race against time to get out of there before, you know, it, the mists come along and you find yourself now 30 years later. <laughs> There's the beautiful woman singing in the mist, you know, until you get too close and you realize that it's really a plant and that the mist is holding up. And, you know, <laughs> they've done that. A, they've done that a couple of times. Yeah. And it could also be a hidey hole. I mean, if you want to go go there, uh, it could be a hidey hole for a super for a uh, super science type you know we do we did talk there are people who are trying to be superheroes in the bureau 13 universe well there are also people trying to be super villains so there could be some guy down there who's busy trying to build a you know ravening beam of death to shoot down spaceships in florida <laughs> when they launch you know and you're out there to try to stop them or just you know control the the shipping lanes i mean it's still you know sea shipping is a very important part you know, of, uh, of, of our economies, our world economy, someone who actually was able to control that through threat or any, or, or, you know, violence would, would have great power over the world. So, uh, and, and there is that enormous floating garbage dump that's, um, out there in the middle of the Pacific, uh, that basically is like, you know, is like made out of like uh, uh, water bottles and all kinds of bits of plastic that floats and it's all collecting and it's getting bigger and bigger every day. Well, something like that could collect a lot of things from a lot of different places, including things that are supernaturally active. Yeah. 
I mean, both the Sargasso Sea and the and the Pacific Gyre are, are there for the exact same reason: uh, circulation of, of of currents. The Sargasso Sea is where it is because that's the way the, the Gulf Stream and and flows around the Atlantic Ocean. The Pacific Gyre is there because that's the way the Pacific Ocean flows around, and both are natural garbage collectors because of that. And a lot of alien or and supernatural artifacts get collected. They just show up places because that's what sooner or later, that which was hidden is going to be found. There's a a whole culture of people that are beginning to live on that garbage dump out there, by the way, and creating like, you know, huge uh, uh, ocean colonies. And, you know, some of them are actually trying to harvest that stuff and take it back and sell it to people. Could get their hands on something that man was not meant to know. Or something needs to be taken back. Like, I mean, again, we go back to the, the tsunami. Uh, maybe there's a new recent addition from a, uh, a Shinto shrine, say, a demon who was basically sealed up. And because of the tsunami, he's now washed out and stuck in the, in, in the uh, gyre now. And he's causing some fun with, with folks at that point. And you got to get him back, back to Japan so they can properly you know, seal him up and put him away again. Right. And a lot of demons are specialized in certain areas, strife, fear, corruption of various kinds. And so wherever they are, people's, you know, their worst impulses start beginning uh, reinforced and their good ones get suppressed. And so even though the things just laying there, apparently not doing anything, all of a sudden you have this, this peaceful group of people that was out there harvesting stuff and they've turned into a bunch of bloodthirsty pirates. Yar. It's, uh, it's still supernaturally based, and it's still in the ocean. So it's still part of what we're talking about. And of course, and there's always stories about strange lights under the water. Yep. Well, we could actually sort of group those two together: strange lights and glowing masses. You know. Yeah. yeah. It could be one of those cryptological creatures that actually has like giant, like a giant lure on the front of it. You know, or it could be colonies of of creatures that are phosphorescent. Or it could be, you know, hordes of aliens or psychic thought bubbles that are trapped under the ocean yeah. <laughs> or anything else. I mean, you know, these, these, but people have, t- have told stories of seeing, you know, strange lights under the ocean for centuries. As long as there's been people on ships, they've told stories about strange for phosphorescences under the ocean uh, out there in, in when they've been fishing or, or stuck out traveling from one place to another. Doing strange lights and some of that makes me think about uh, Pele, the goddess, uh, the goddess uh, of Hawaii. Well, she's got a new volcano coming up now. Uh, that would be probably where she's spending more of her time than back on Mauna Kea, you know, doing things. So that could also be a, you know, People messing with, with Pele is never a good thing. <laughs> messing with any god is pretty much no, a bad thing. You're actually not allowed to take any of the volcanic any of the the black sand either. Oh, okay. And of course, the national park says in Hawaii says, and we routinely get uh, shipments of rocks and stuff like that from the from the mainland from people who said, "I've had nothing but bad luck since I got this. Here, you have it back." <laughs> Well, yeah, you're not say... supposed to because that that whole belief. But people sneak things out anyway. Oh yeah, there's the whole the phrase for like any park, 
and they usually, for national parks, leave nothing but footprints, take nothing but photographs. Yeah. That, that's that's the reason that. for yeah. that in Hawaii, because right. stuff like that happens, and it's like, uh, okay, you can have it back now. They're having bad luck like the Tiki doll in the old Brady Bunch episode. Yeah, <laughs> right. And you can make up uh, places, too. You don't actually have to be just follow the historical weird places. I mean, there could be places where large groups of ocean-supported birds, and they're all sitting, they're all out there in large masses, and they're, they're, and they're singing, okay, or, or doing something, that, something weird, moving around in geometric pa- patterns or something. You could have that going on. You could have places where people are hearing some voices, when there's nobody but themselves there, or the sound of bells ringing, or any any you know all kinds of weird possible sounds could be occurring out there in the middle of the ocean for no apparent reason. Uh, smells, I mean, just all the senses can be can be seriously messed with, you know, in some location you decide to use out in the ocean. Yeah, and you don't have to go too far in the ocean for this. You can also have that mysterious K that only happens at the lowest tide. And you can only get to it when it happens. Otherwise it's next to impossible to get to it because the, the, the water is too, too, too strong. And, you know, but then of course you go inside and now you're stuck, you know, you're stuck inside that cave and you find out what's in that cave. Or the, the cave just disappears entirely. There's that too. Another one of those brigadoons. The one thing we have also listed here are, you know, the red tide and other blooms. I mean, for for mariners, when uh, to suddenly come across a mass, a mass that's like as far as the eye can see, of red fibrous material floating around their ships. I mean, that must have been terrifying. But it's actually just an algae bloom that could be caused by any number of things. But you know, for some, seeing a large, you know, seeing a large area of discolored ocean can, you know, would would really be scary to people who are tr- familiar with how ocean is supposed to be, and could cause them to come back with all kinds of stories. And as the bureau, you know, knowing that something that could be caused by a supernatural reason not just necessarily an algae bloom, you know, a a, a scientific thing, Uh, they might want to get out there and and check it out. Yeah, I mean, I think some red tides uh, do have a neurotoxic component to them. That I mean, I think there was a movie about this, too, where the red tide was causing all the sea creatures to go completely bonkers and, and attack everything. You know, that's something the beer would look into trying to stop at that point. Because that, you know, that if it gets close to shore, that means you'd be attacked by all sorts of sea creatures. All the bathers would be in danger. And they'd be in danger of being affected by the neurotoxins themselves. They get bit by the stuff that's affected. It'll get into their bloodstream. Yeah. Right. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. Because that actually brings up, you know, the uh, the, the one thing that comes next, which is we, we talk about all these things out in the ocean, okay? But not everything that happens in the ocean is Bureau 13's direct responsibility. You know, there, there is a whole, you know, there's a lot more people in the Navy than there are in the Bureau 13. They are not responsible for ecological cleanup. That's true. I mean, if, if it's an entirely natural thing, then yeah. Report it and let the and let the uh, uh, 
the appropriate, uh, probably the Coast Guard deal with it. Now, if it's, if it's threatening, you know, the last remaining colony of underwater unicorns, yeah, okay, they're going to step in and do something about it. Okay, or at least, you know, throw up some kind of warning to keep it away from the unicorns. So you, know, you can still have that in it and you have the, you know, the Navy and all the various people out there trying to deal with it. At the same time, you have to deal with trying to keep, you know, your enclave, your place with the uh, uh, cryptological creatures safe and unbound, you know, while this is going on. Something that, that draws attention to a place that shouldn't anybody ever be looking at. You know, then the bureau is going to get involved in that. Okay, they're not. They're not respond. Bureau thirteen is not responsible for rescuing people, even if they're falling into the Marianas Trench. And Ray Robertson, as Travis said, has access to level. You know, to tech level six technology. Doesn't mean you know they're going to cobble together uh, you know, a Thunderbird six, I think it is, and and send it down to save to uh, you know to, to save somebody. Yeah, I think he says tech level seven, but yeah. But yeah, anyway, high tech. Tech level seven is anti-grab. Right. The point is, yeah. is that something that could survive and, you know, effectively at the crushing depths of the Marianas Trench, you know, they may have that equipment. They probably do have that equipment, but it doesn't mean they're going to send it out to rescue somebody just because, you know, uh, a certain filmmaker's, you know, uh, uh, bathosphere suddenly comes untethered. Yeah, that that's not going to happen. No, they're not responsible for supporting a archaeological exploration of one of those underwater cities we were talking about that hap- just happened to be there. That they they discovered hundreds of these. There's no reason why Bureau Thirteen should be there unless there is a reason for you know, that. There's uh, some kind of an artifact or some kind of a threat. Yeah, there's some type of supernatural there. factor. Then they'll be called in on the dig. Until then, it's. You know, you deal with the university that's sponsoring the dig. Yeah, it's not our job, you know. I mean, if you, the Bureau 13 agent, happens to have a cousin who's on the dig and you want to go over there and get involved, okay, that's on your own. You know, you're on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> it's not official Bureau 13 activity. The Bureau's not going to get involved in finding those little magnesium nodules in the bottom of the ocean. Sorry. Uh, or necessarily an area the size of Saudi Arabia full of oil. Though it might be helpful if they did. And if you happen to lose a, 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 a diamond the size of, the size of your fist in the, in the North Atlantic, that's bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No matter how rich your family is, it doesn't mean that, you know, the president... Okay. Oh, I dropped this. Oh, you know, my cufflink over the side of the ship as I was coming over. You know, can you, you know, you know, talking to, and again, Nick Pilata's stories. He talks to one of the portraits of one of the early presidents in order to send a message to Peter. Is it Lincoln? Yeah. And, and then he says, you know, Ray on the other side, says, I don't care you lost your cufflinks too bad. So sad. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you're the president doesn't mean you can order Bureau 13 to go find your missing cufflink. Right. So, you know, bureau, so, so just because something happens at sea, there's a tragedy or something like that, doesn't mean Bureau 13 should get involved in it. And many times they're not going to get involved in it because, frankly, I, agents are, are some of the worst people for keeping the supernatural under, under you know, if, they, if they're supernatural creatures themselves, they have a tendency to cause supernatural instances when they go into serious situations like this. Now I'm looking at the, the next in the list, and that's the uh, 
ghost ships, which is where that's where it starts getting interesting. You know, because ghost ships, I mean, we all know the Flying Dutchman, not from the movie, but the Flying Dutchman, which was, which uh, is a ship that never quite makes it to port and only shows up during storms. Uh, I've read up on this one. It, you know, it only shows up during storms and it's, it can never make it to port and it's always appropriate for the time. So the Dutchman today, these days would look more like a, uh, a cargo ship that just can't make it to port and needs your help. Are you going to help him? Don't. Yeah, it's, it's got smoke coming from, you know, like, you know, the, the back cargo deck. Yeah. You know, like something like it's like something caught on fire or one of the engines caught on fire and it's burning and out of control. Are you going to go over there and maybe rescue some people? Hmm. <laughs> I just like your response is just uh, don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so but people will. I mean, that's what's going to happen. People are going to go over there and try to rescue him, and then people are, and then people are going to be like, "Well, so and so disappeared," and bureau's like, oh, "Who cares?" Until they re- realize that they've actually been abducted by the Flying Dutchman. And if that's the case, yeah. then. I'm not sure. You know, they're going to have to decide whether or not they want to go and and possibly cause a supernatural incident, or just chalk it up to you know uh, the Galactus effect, where he's just considered a force of nature. Yeah, I mean, but there's other ghost ships. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to go for the pirate ships because there's probably plenty of ghost pirate ships out there. I'm thinking more along the line of all those sunken U-boats and American American submarines and Japanese submarines. Many of them died horribly, and that's usually a recipe for being resurrected as a ghost, and possibly their submarine. And whether it's either a ghost submarine or it's a submarine manned by ghosts, it's never going to be good news at this point. You know, if they decide that, you know, especially if it's a German submarine who decides that these are much bigger targets to shoot at now. Right. And, 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 and they are a submarine, and they're filled with water. There's no depth they can't go to. Well, it's especially if you're talking about the whole unfinished business thing with ghosts. They might think, hey, whatever fight or whatever they died in, they're supposed to go on and finish that. So. Right. They're down there, and they see this uh, submarine go by with a big uh, U.S. flag on the front of it, and it's a nuclear submarine, and they still got some torpedoes in their uh, in their tubes. Let's yep. see if they work. <laughs> if nothing else, you got ramming speed. Yeah, though, if, if it's Germans, if it's a, if it's a U-boat. They're commerce raiders. They're looking. For, they're, of course, they don't see a, a a cargo ship. No, they see princes of the sea. <laughs> you know that thing's the size of a. That's, since I live here in Seattle, I can see these these suckers show up. They're the size of build of buildings. I'm not talking small buildings. We're talking fifty story buildings, a thousand foot long. Yeah, they're huge, and they're like you know fifteen stories tall. Yeah, they're they're floating cities, literally. Yeah, they are. They literally are. Yeah, and I can see either a Japanese commerce raider or a German uh, commerce raider going, "Yeah, that's a target," as well as an American, you know, American commerce raider, because we also did the same thing to the Japanese. 
you know, and to the and to uh, to some extent to the Germans, but more to the Japanese than he did to the Germans. So yeah, um, so there's always that uh, that last that last voyage, that last torpedo we gotta fire and get that last sh- that last uh, silhouette on our on on the conning tower. You know, and, and whether they get it or not, that's really up to them. And yeah, you gotta deal with them. A potential ghost ship was definitely probably the bureau probably took care of it. The USS Arizona. Oh yeah, that could have turned into one hell of a ghost ship if it hadn't. And I think the bureau probably got involved to make sure that thing got put to rest. Because you can imagine a fully functional aircraft a battleship roaming the seas. No. Especially since we're such good friends with the Japanese now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that would be embarrassing. Yeah. Well, yeah, all, all of our enemies are now our friends until we make new enemies. Or they. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, though, about the Yamato. <laughs> that was sunk with all hands. Yeah, but that one's going to be turned into a spaceship, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> After all, the ocean's been bleeded away, and that's about, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.